Hello, it's Anna Perro and Sophie Little here. We run Soundyard and we are the producers of Chris Skinner's Countryside Podcast. We're excited to tell you we've been nominated for an award. It's a public vote, so if you'd like to vote for us, well, that would just be amazing. You can head to norfolkartsawards.org. Look out for Soundyard. We're under the Broadcast and Media Award. And it's such a pleasure putting the show together and listening with you. So let's join Chris and Matthew on High Ash Farm. You're listening to Chris Skinner's Countryside Podcast. Well, this is Storm Babette. <laughs> it's uh, doing its worst at the moment, although it just seems to have uh, maybe uh, relented a little. But it's pouring with rain in Norwich, and we're not on High Ash Farm for this uh, portion of this week's podcast. Because, Chris Skinner, where have you brought us? Well, I brought us just to the outskirts of Norwich, right next to County Hall. And this is quite a, a sight in my childhood uh, because. Um, there was the cattle holding yard where we're standing for Norwich Cattle Market, right in the centre of Norwich. This is where the cattle were kept overnight. And then they were and driven up into the city? Driven up Brackendale, past my school, and used to, at break time on a Saturday morning, so we had to go to school Saturday mornings, uh, we'd lean over the wall and watch all the cattle being driven past by the drovers, uh, take them down to be auctioned off right in the centre of Norwich and all the agricultural merchants, wigs and Ben Burgess, which is where we are today, here in their stockyard for all the tractors and all the other agricultural merchants were there selling all sorts of agricultural produce. Tilts were being made by Mr Cox just at the top of Rouen Road that had been there over 150 years. Hang on a second, what are tilts? Tilts are sheets that, well, if you look at Norwich Marketplace today, they're all covered in lovely blue and red and white sheets over the top of the stalls. Like awnings? Yes, awnings. And he made the tilts or the stack covers by hand, by sewing them in this really old building with all the old equipment in there and it was just an education to go in with my father on a Saturday morning if you needed skips which are sort of weaven woven baskets but the interesting thing I remember uh, about leaning over that school wall watching all the cattle being driven past was as soon as they went past some of them would actually poo on the road which doesn't sound very tasty and the next minute somebody would come out of one of the cottages on the other side of the road and gather up the poo with a little shovel and take it very hastily into their garden, almost rubbing their hands. <laughs> you can't imagine that happening today. It's very good for the roses, Oh, isn't it? yes, of course. <laughs> anyway, this site has completely changed. Ben Burgess moved out to the top of King Street, where their depot was, so selling the early John Deere tractors. And today, our present podcast brings us right up to the present and actually we're being dwarfed here aren't we in this yard with all these great big 
uh, well, green-coloured vehicles with yellow wheels, and they're huge compared with us. Yes, Norwich here. City colours, of course. Well, they are within yes. a stone's throw of Norwich City Football Ground. Yes, and here we are. This is the present, Matthew. Beside us is a John Deere tractor. It's a BRX model, and it's a 370, so 370 horsepower. <laughs> it's unimaginable. Well, look, extraordinary wheel arrangements here. They're like tank tracks, aren't they? They certainly are, and that's to reduce the ground pressure because that tractor weighs 12 and a half tonnes. <laughs> and well, so if it was on tyres, it would compress the soil hugely. So that enables massive machines to be pulled behind it. And you can see the hydraulics at the back here. Um, you know, literally lift the house and that's how much they cost this one we're sitting beside here it's a brand new one registration 73 at the top there not been out on the farm yet so no mud on it that sets you back £250,000, and that's with the discount. <laughs> yes, so, and that's what I mean about discussing the history of farming as we've done for previous weeks and bringing us right up to the present, because it's changed so quickly and it's continuing to change. So these great brutes might be dinosaurs in as little as 10, 15 years' time because the next raft of technology is coming on and it's drone technology and it's sowing the crops with drones still with a pilot on the edge of the field but controlling the drone, dropping seeds and they're now experimenting with that advanced form of technology out in moorland to spray bracken but first of all you broadcast seeds on the bracken areas with the drone and then uh, the seeds drop down onto the ground you then spray the bracken with glyphosate the bracken then buckles over on top of the seeds and you've got your perfect seed bed so that's technology so let's just go and look at some real brutes now well, we'll just... well, you mean this isn't this is a boy's toy this one well, the, the cab the floor of the cab is higher than my head and i'm yes. six foot tall so really the the view up there must be amazing. It, absolutely, think. yes. Let's just go a little bit further. Let's hope uh, Babette lets us, uh, without being blown away. It really is a filthy morning in Norwich. Through the puddles and uh, various bits of work going on in the grounds here of Ben Burgess. They're an agricultural supply company. I think they, they supply... Um, garden equipment as well don't they yes they do and so the early garden equipment um is the size of the tractors that my father used that <laughs> now used to mow your lawn you mean a ride on mower yeah, yes yeah. ride on mowers right this tractor did come with wheels on it looks like someone's had the wheels away and yeah. the wheels are taken off and <laughs> at the front of the tractor and the purchaser of this tractor is having tracks put on just as we saw so front tracks and rear tracks which means you can take it on the road very low ground pressure and again it's a brand new tractor and then if you want to see a real boys toy just walk this way a little bit satellite guidance on the top oh my word what is this vehicle this is 1000 horsepower oh, this looks <laughs> like it, we're, we're at the back of a harvester here aren't we, we? we are it's a forage harvester self-propelled and it is enormous and that sets you back wait for it just over four hundred thousand pounds so it's more than a house and we'll just walk up to the front edge of it we can it's a bit of a stroll my word 
These are magnificent machines, really. I mean, this does bring out the... This brings out the five-year-old in me with my Tonka toys. <laughs> well, would you have this in your living room? Actually, this looks like a vicious array of blades and wheels. Yes, it? so it's a maize harvester for harvesting gas or for foraging for uh, livestock feed for cattle. And it slices up the, the maize stalks, uh, sort of absolutely chops them up into shreds so that uh, they can be ensiled or used for gas production and there we are this is what i'm talking about the present and how far we've come from that photograph we looked at a high ash farm website last week with my father plowing with three horses and a ransom's two furrow plow <laughs> and we've moved to this in under the 100 years, when because there was virtually no tractors in the early 1900s. And that equates to more mouths to feed, people yes. eating more. Exactly, and a huge population and as well. And a demand for cheaper food. And that's where the, the sort of problem comes for younger farmers. So if you're a young farmer starting off in business, well, a decent, reasonable-sized productive farm, say it's 500 acres, it's going to set you back 10,000 an acre, that's five million pounds gone. Then you've got your buildings and your equipment. Uh, and most farms of a reasonable size will have around about or close to a million pounds worth of gear to do their farming. And this one vehicle with the array on the front is the thick end of half a million. Yes, absolutely. But it would probably be used by a contractor and the contractor would move around various different fields. You can hear it's a hive of activity here little ride on mower just going past wow and that's the other thing the noise is always a huge consideration so inside that cab you can have a good conversation it's air conditioned heated there'll be radio contact and uh, it's a non-stop operation and uh, it's just come in for a service this machine but as i said it's actually more than the cost of a house and here's all the different implements behind us, there's ploughs, there's telehandlers, and it takes us back that we were talking about last week, right at the beginning of our programme, Robert Ransom, who was born in Wells, his father was a school teacher, he started the Ransom Sims and Jeffreys factory up in Ipswich, and he started making all the different mouldboards for the ploughs, so he'd started off with the ones my father used, little, just, they were called UCN mouldboards, then he did, made some a little bit bigger and deeper ploughing they were called SCN and then later on don't get too excited boys the double D's that's not a bra size it's the deep digger ploughs <laughs> mouldboard breast and eventually th that factory's gone and there's only one UK um, plough manufacturer left that's called Hubert and nearly all the other ploughs and implements that we can see around us are all imported now Although there's still the, the Massey Ferguson Perkins engines still manufactured at Peterborough for the Massey Ferguson tractors, and of course you've got lots of different varieties of tractors. So there we are, Matthew. This is just a taster, and that wheel beside us that's just come off this Must be six foot across. <laughs> it's a, at least that, and uh, it's just unbelievable. So there we are, the traction. It's absolutely colossal. Look at it. Yes, so. <laughs> There we are. It's moving from wheels to tracks, but eventually I think we're going to be using drones to do a lot of the work. Oh, what a surprise. Well, it is, isn't it? It'll be Skinner Airways. Yes, <laughs> why not?
<laughs> well, a, a big thank you to Ben Burgess for letting us come here and have a look at these uh, amazing vehicles and all John Deere, big uh, green and yellow yes. monsters. Yes, and you can go to another manufacturer and the tractors can be red or if you go to another one, sort of different colour green and there's all different colours of tractors but they're all pretty much the same. Ultra modern. Just like you. <laughs> Well, we're back on High Ash Farm now, and it's still blowing a hoolie, and the rain is absolutely pouring, but I think most of it was overnight, Chris. Yes, we've had some heavy rain overnight, and I think it's just beginning to ease off now, Matthew, and then the winds will take over about the middle of today, and that's the bit that's worrying, because it's an unusual direction. 1953, we had a strong easterly here, and uh, we had... the the floods are all around the Norfolk coast at that time and there was a windmill just over there behind us and it took that over into the farmyard right where we're standing and it used to power electricity for the farmhouse. What about this tree here? This is an ancient tree that you've got uh, reinforced with a metal cable, haven't yes, you? Yes, yeah, there's 50 metres of uh, one inch thick stainless steel cable on it and two big strops near the top of the tree because I want to preserve the tree but uh, the cable comes from the south and the west where our normal prevailing winds come from and today the winds in the opposite direction so if it did go it would blow into the field and not hurt this lovely old agricultural building here which was the dairy parlour for 10 abreast cows being milked simultaneously in there and it's a lovely sort of warm stable block and there we are anyway this is why we're here today um, it's pouring rain and this is an ideal situation to see the roof they're Norfolk pantiles. Yes, I mean, and they're really sought after these days, they are. Yes, they? and it's so quite antique. They're probably made about 200 years ago and more or less as good today as the day they were made and beautiful deep red colour. But once you're away from the shadow of the tree, can you see they're covered in a sort of golden yellow film all over them. Yeah, is that moss? <laughs> it does look a bit like moss, but it's actually called a lichen. Uh, all the lichens are really unusual. There's lots of them. This is a foliose lichen, so that means it looks rather leaf-like. And to save you climbing up on the roof this morning, to have a closer examination... I'm sure you'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like a skating ring up there. But what I did just before you arrived is climbed up on the roof. Did, and, you didn't, did you? I did. And then and you've got... Oh, you've got a pantile. I bought a pantile with us. And this is what we're looking at this morning. This is a lichen. There's at least 20, 30 species of lichen that you can easily find in the UK, more over in the west side of the country. But it's something that doesn't get that second look. And it's unique in the world because it's two organisms, two plants, if you like, living together. An algae which gives you sort of water, the green colour. Remember we visited the water tanks on the farm a few weeks ago and it was like pea soup. And you'll also see it on the side of trees, a sort of a green sheen at this time of the year. And the other plant combined with this is a fungi. 
So you've got yeasts and mushrooms and toadstools that we're all familiar with. Now, fungi don't have chlorophyll in, but when you look at algae, there's a top layer of fungi, then just under it, and it's only as thin as a knife blade, the sort of film of algae on the pantile here, there's a layer of uh, algae just underneath the fungi, and then another layer of fungi hanging onto the tile. And it's a symbiotic relationship. And no other plant in the world has managed to combine two different plants as one entity. Now, a lot of controversy still going on because some people believe the fungus has parasitized the algae, but some people say the algae benefits because on that roof, Matthew, in July, you can actually bake an egg on there, fry an egg even. <laughs> it just is so hot. The angle of the roof faces the sun almost at 90 degrees. And this survives. And algae wouldn't survive in that situation. But they've discovered that the fungus actually protects the algae and they live together. So it's a symbiotic relationship. It's quite beautiful, really, it's isn't it? It's beautiful. A, it's a mustard colour yes. and it's very, uh, it sticks proud of the, of the tile and it's almost like one of those 19th century painters with a palette knife has put it on. Exactly that. And I've asked our ace photographer, Laura Cuffin, to take some pictures and it will be on... High Ash Farm Facebook page so you can actually see what we're talking about and once you, he, she's got a, one of these macro lenses, very posh and modern and you can enlarge this, it's difficult to see with the naked eye, there's all little cups over the top of this lichen and it, it sort of spores will come off but the spores have little algal threads attached to them so it can start a new little site off there's one there about the size of a match head just beginning to form and it is so slow growing Matthew that it's unbelievable up in Arctic regions you get um, lichens growing up there and they can be three or four thousand years old this tile is well over a hundred years old the lichen's probably been on there and this around the edge of it is this year's growth the estimated growth is about in imperial it's a tenth of an inch a year in metric it's about two millimeters a year so that one there that's my finger is on at the moment is probably about 40 to 50 years old <laughs> this one is very nearly the age of the tile it's about four inches across so, so it shows the age of this roof yes. how developed this is now yes. you'll see this on many roofs but never quite well, not often, this developed. No, and it's absolutely beautiful. The colours are as fashionable as fashion can be. That colour, it's a kind of auric, or it's, it's a cross between gold and green, and it would be on all the catwalks as well, and has been for many years. I bet you'd have your living room done like that. Oh, you, oh yeah, it's quite classy, isn't yeah. it? You, and you just don't take that second look. But it is a really important pollution indicator because they, they're so unobserved lichens and algae that they don't have common names so the proper name of this if you want to look it up is xanthoria parentina and it's spelt with an x and xanthoria so there we are very very beautiful very underrated and, and an unbelievable relationship between an algae which is green and has chlorophyll and a fungus which doesn't have chlorophyll and they're married in an inseparable way
I'm a little worried as the rain pours down. You've got a big tile in your hand there. No, I've put up a, a replacement. Oh, you've put a temporary one I've in. I've put a temporary one in. I'm sorry, I was worrying that that would cause a hole on the roof. No, no. I have a hole in my boot, but that's what I put my foot in. Well, <laughs> it is still raining and uh, we're next to the road that runs past the farmyard here, which is, is a case de lane, this, isn't it? It is case de lane, Matthew, and it's very busy this morning. Everybody's heading off for another day's work in the city of Norwich. Uh, so it's only a 10-minute journey right into the centre of Norwich. So it's a really useful little road. And uh, so we've been looking at things you wouldn't normally even see if you're out living in the countryside or in urban areas and so we've just recently looked at some of the lichen here on the roofs of some of the buildings at the farm again no common names for any of them and it's the same with this plant on the ground in front of us we're on gravel and it's always wet damp and shaded here and this whole area is a dark deep green and it's called liverwort oh <laughs> so right, this is oh, so this is a plant is this it? is I, a I just, plant i just thought maybe it's some you know grass clippings or something no no it, looking it's got at chlorophyll it, in it i can see leaves and yeah. uh, that's exactly why it does look like leaves on the ground little flat leaves it's called liverwort because of the shape of the little leaves that you pointed out is meant to represent your liver so it used to be used for curing liver problems, although it never did. Uh, the early sort of doctors and medics way back used to think that if a plant looked like a part of your body, you could use it to treat the ailments of that particular part of the body. So this was used for liver treatment. <laughs> but it's really lovely and very beautiful. And again, I'll get my ace photographer, Laura Cuffin, to come and take some photos of it. And it's the sort of plant you'd perhaps see around the edge of your greenhouse if you had one, growing on pots at this time of the year, at the top of the pot, these little green cup-like plants. So I'm just going to pop down. I won't get you on your hands and knees this morning. And I'm just going to put my finger under a little piece and raise it up. Oh, yes. And this is a really unusual plant i suppose we can call it i mean it's underwater this morning but it loves the damp conditions absolutely it loves damp and shade it can't stand drying out but it kind of flowers at this time of the year and these are the flowers can you see they look exactly like very appropriate today umbrellas yes hundreds of them and they are releasing spores now liverworts are really really clever plants because they can reproduce in two ways by seed or spores from these little umbrellas or from something called gemi which if we'll try and find some we've got to look at the top surface of the leaves and we should find some little cups uh, I'm just looking carefully I've managed to pull a clump up with with no visible cups on it uh, still looking round so what we'll do, I'll just get, get another just little, get another little piece yeah. and in the water, just clean that up. 
let's see if we can find some cups. Lovely deep green colour. It leaves. is full of chlorophyll. And they're tiny little star-shaped cups. And what happens is, on days like this, um, rain splashes into those cups. And they're exactly a cup shape, in fact, but look, looking like an upturned star. And they have little spores in them, uh, little gemi spores, and they splash out and start off a new plant. So this plant can reproduce sexually and vegetatively as well. So that's why it's really, really clever. And it's really grown. There's a huge patch of it down here at the bottom of the farmyard, isn't it? There absolutely is. It's an area of the farm that's not visited very often, so it doesn't get trampled on. But I said, it's incredibly common. And both that lichen we looked at and this liverwort are actually the foundations of a lot of our natural history. They form the base of it. Lots of slugs, snails, invertebrates feed on the lichen. On that roof we looked on earlier, at night time it's covered in slugs. They climb up the walls and graze on the lichen. And it's the same with this liverwort. It's really nutritious, very, very clever plant, and lots of animals, the ones you don't take a second look at, slug snails and centipedes they'll all kind of feed on these plants and really very underrated again they don't have sort of common names um, so it's really unusual they have hugely long latin names so this one's called, called marchantia polymorpholia <laughs> so um, and it's so sad because they're perhaps some of the most important plants that we have growing in the world and they grow all over the world like that lichen but does. unheralded uncelebrated Absolutely. until this program yes until then and that they fascinate me all of them and i was in ashwell thorpe churchyard looking at some of the unusual lichen growing on the headstones and i just moved one of the lichen i could see a letter underneath and as i looked at the writing on it there was a saying on there which i've never forgotten to this day and it says as you are now so once was i as i am now soon you will be so be prepared to follow me a message from beyond the grave This is a Soundyard production. Music is by Tom Harris. Hello, it's Anna from Soundyard here. I just wanted to stop by and tell you that we send out a newsletter with the show every week. It includes updates on the podcast and sometimes accompanying photos and extras. If you'd like to subscribe, head to soundyard.org forward slash Chris. And if you'd like to donate to the production of the show or to our CD service we run, you can at donorbox.org forward slash countryside podcast.